Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And I'm Dr. Akiva Daum. And, and welcome, welcome to Interesting, Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education. I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and it'll get people to think about things in a different way. Okay, Kiva, welcome to Parshat Titzaveh. Since this is a leap year, each Parsha gets its own very special week. And we're going to start off by talking about how clothes may or may not make the man. We spend an awful lot of time in this week's Torah portion talking about the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. And I want to ask, does it really matter what he wears? Why do we spend so much time talking about it? And should we worry about what we're wearing? And does it matter how we dress? So there's two pieces to this. And I think that on the one hand, right, the idea of does the clothes, do the clothes matter, right? When you go for a job interview, for example, am I hiring your clothing or am I hiring you? And I think I mentioned before on this podcast that I'm convinced that none of my patients are seeing me because of my uh, snazzy fashion sense. So with that in mind, of course, I could come up with the argument of, well, when I was interviewing for a job, why would I need to wear a suit? Why would I need to shine my shoes? And this was something that actually came up and I had spoken to uh, supervisors about in the past because I think it's a reasonable question. And one of the important things that I was explained was that when we dress up, when we put on special clothing, when we make sure our shoes are the shiniest they could be, we're sending that message that this is important, that this is meaningful and valuable. So yes, I would never want someone to hire me based on my fashion sense. I would never want someone to come and see me for my medical uh, expertise based on whether or not I know which is the most fashionable suit of the season. Wearing certain clothing show them the respect And so I think what the Torah is getting at here is the Kohanim, which we know have a lot to do with this is the lineage, this is the special rights and responsibilities. Again, we talked a little bit last time about rights, but the responsibilities of the Kohanim, of which we'll talk later on about the many responsibilities of the Kohanim, they have to, in some ways show respect for the job that they have, not only for themselves, but also for others. For the rest of the kehila, they need to see that the Kohen is dressed for the part, 
has taken the time to make sure that all of the big day are carefully shined and cleaned and, and really representative of not only is this an I'm doing this for Hashem, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for the Kehillah. And so I think that's the key, that's the message, is not so much that the clothes make the man, but that the intention and the effort that is put in with putting on these garments, which we we read are are many, and I can't imagine that in a wilderness, whether it's we know that it was presumably rather hot during the daytime, right? Because we at least know where we are, and it's hot there now, so presumably it's going to be hot there then. There's a lot of clothing to wear. This is a lot of hot stuff to put on, and putting that effort in, putting that extra mile to say whether or not I am refreshed and wearing the shorts and the, and the tank top to the interview, no. I wanted to, you to know that I'm willing to go the extra mile. I'm willing to do the things to make sure that you know I value this position and I think this is important. And so I think that's what the Torah is trying to teach us is that we are meant to be mindful of what we're doing in every step along the way and both show ourselves as well as others and course, Hashem, that this is something that we don't take lightly, that this is something we value and take care in. So to follow up, you've talked significantly and quite well about what it means that they should dress for their status, right? Both to let themselves and others know the role that they should play. But this seems to take it a step further, right? It's a uniform so talk to us a little bit about what uniforms mean, right? Certain organizations have uniforms. Why do they use a uniform as opposed to just saying, dress for the appropriate status? A lot of times uniforms are made as a reminder of what, you, what it is that you're doing. And many times, right, uniforms are the same for all the individuals in them. And in that part, it also reminds that it's representative of the entire organization and not the individual. And so the, for example, firefighters have a uniform. And yes, part of it is, in fact, I would say much of it is functional, but it also tells everybody else I am a firefighter, I have a role, I have a responsibility, and this is what you can expect of me, seeing me from however far away you see me, this is what you can expect. And I think it sends that message and it makes sure that that individual remembers that they're not just representing them as an individual, they are representing the organization. And so when we have a uniform, ideally, it should help us to see that everybody's going to recognize from far and we need to be on our best behavior to ensure that we are not only giving ourselves a good name, but also the organization. We could go a step further to say, as, as Jews, we have uniforms. 
we, we cover our heads, we wear tzitzit, we, and, and that's the idea in part, is that we should be mindful of how we are behaving, how we are acting, and what message we are sending as a people. So Akiva, you shared some of the positives to uniforms. Are there any downsides to them? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think, let's start off with the easiest one, which is, I just mentioned about how when someone sees a, someone in a uniform, they think that that individual represents an organization. Well, sometimes that individual may not have the behavior that we want to represent. And that doesn't mean that they represent everyone. So in, in an ideal world, yes, when you see someone in a certain type of uniform, you should expect this kind of thing. That's not always a positive, and clearly that can be a challenge. And I realize I'm being vague, but multiple different opportunities to kind of add to that. I think what I'm getting at in part is the underlying piece of sometimes the uniform can take away individuality. It can take away individual expression. And not that I think that clothing necessarily completely is, is the be-all, end-all of individual expression. However, there are certain groups that don't have an opportunity otherwise to often express themselves individually. I guess one of the things that I'd be thinking of is school uniforms, where children, we know, they don't get a lot of opportunities to express their individuality, and certainly not in a way that we want to encourage, right? So we, want to not, we don't want to encourage children to act out and therefore express their individuality or be, uh, behave badly, which, again, acting out, same thing, fine. But we do want to exp have them express themselves in more ways than just, great, you're a wonderful athlete or you got a great grade, because those are only small pieces of what make up a child. And I guess what comes to mind is so many ways where that creativity piece has an opportunity to come out. And sadly, in many schools, the creativity piece is not the primary focus. We know that certainly in the public school system, there is a huge deficit when it comes to creative outlets uh, music, the arts, um, those don't necessarily get the same level of, of street cred that, that the other stuff does. And, and I would argue that probably in, in private schools, that's also true, especially in Judaic schools where really we, we have to have plenty of Torah education and Oftentimes, it's not just Torah, it's also everything else. It's a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of time to have to fit everything in. So what goes by the wayside? Well, he'll learn piano another time, or, or art. Meh, art. She doesn't need to learn how to, how to draw or sculpt or, or what have you. And, and so in many ways, that creative piece can come out with clothing and with that individuality. And I think it can be a negative. I remember one of the things that was really kind of suggested as a positive 
which obviously was hard to find a positive in this scenario, and I'm talking about masks for children during COVID. Uh, the only positive that many people could suggest was, well, at least now they can have some individuality. They can put on a mask and express themselves. Maybe the, the shirt was okay to express themselves, or the, the pants, shorts, skirt, what have you. As long as, fine, we want to set parameters of what it should be as far as Newt goes, as far as appropriateness. But maybe that was a way to suggest to us that individuality is important because that uniqueness otherwise can be lost. And one last thing that I would sh throw out that is also a negative is sometimes uniforms help us hide. They help us protect who we are or be someone different. I'm putting on my uniform and therefore I can do this or I can do that even though I don't believe it's okay or even though I don't want to do it or maybe I can even take it a step further where I really wanted to do this thing and now that I have the uniform I can because my organization says it's okay. Unfortunately we saw this of course with Nazi Germany, where you would see people, and we heard survivors say this, where their, their friends, their neighbors, who presumably had nothing against them, would put on a uniform, and all of a sudden it was okay to destroy their shops and steal and loot and, and abuse physically and emotionally and beat. And it was a uniform, so it wasn't them. It was the organization. And so I think when we can utilize uniforms for their positive nature, for their opportunity to bring us to a higher level, to remind people what we should be doing and what we should be representing, then certainly that's important. So the big day for the Kohanim is clearly that's the goal, is that it should be elevating us to behave in a better way. So Avi, we kind of touched on this briefly in the, in the last segment where we mentioned the word lineage, but here's the question. The Kohanim, it's, it's lineage. And the Kohen Gadol, we don't really have many instructions on who got to be the Kohen Gadol after a point when Hashem stopped telling us who gets to be Kohen Gadol. So... How does that work, and how did we get determined who was qualified and whether or not they were qualified, and what's the deal with why lineage is the answer anyway? Please, enlighten us. So Judaism seems to have a push and pull, a dichotomy between lineage, sometimes referred to as yichus, and those who are able to um, earn their place through their own learning and through their own knowledge and by pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, so to speak. And this dichotomy plays out nowhere better than perhaps here where we start talking about, well, what does it take to be a Kohen? You have to be of the lineage of Aharon. And so Aharon is the first Kohen Gadol and it transfers to his son 
uh, Eliezer, and then it goes from Eliezer to Pinchas, and onward and onward. And ideally, we see that at the beginning, right, God decides in each case who will be the Kohen Gadol. After a while, uh, it seems that the Kahuna, the, the, who got to, to be uh, the Kohen and, and, and the Kohanim in charge, and specifically Kohen Gadol, um, went off the rails a little bit. And it seems that um, certainly by the time of the Chashmonaim, right? So we're talking about around the time of the Second Temple and the time of the Maccabees, there were cases where possibly... Well, let me take a step before that. Before that, right, when there was no longer a king to establish things, the Sanhedrin would establish who was the Kohen Gadol. And as the Sanhedrin lost its power and foreign leaders would take over, oftentimes there was a certain amount of bribery that went on for a family to become the Kohen Gadol. In fact, we are told stories of uh, someone who was a Kohen Gadol really didn't know anything about what he was supposed to do, and the Sanhedrin was supposed to prepare him for Yom Kippur. Um, and so we see that this was sort of the way it happened. You didn't have to be a, 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 a wise man or knowledgeable to become Kohen Gadol at a certain point. Um, it's interesting because at the very end of Seder Nezikin, the Mishnayot in Nezikin, it talks about what happens if different people are captured and need to be redeemed. Um, and it talks about the order, first uh, Kohen, then Alevi, then Israel, then onward and onward. But it says at the end that this assumes that they are all equal. If they are not all equal, if you have someone who is of lower status, but is a Talmid Chacham, is a wise man, and you have somebody who is the Kohen Gadol, but is just uh, of, of average knowledge, then the lower status person who is the uh, Kohen Gadol, I'm sorry, that is the, the average person, gets to be freed first. And so this idea that, yes, there is something to Yichus, there is something to the... Uh, the, the, the lineage we receive, but at the same time, there is something to what we can make of ourselves. In this past week's Parsha, parsha of Truma, it talks about how every item that was built in the Mishkan had rings with staves put through them so that the item could be carried when the Mishkan was traveling. And in each case, the rings were made so that the staves could be removed after the item had been set down, except in one case. And that case is the Aron Kodesh. The Aron Kodesh, the staves, always stayed inside. And one of the things our rabbis use this to teach us is the idea that that's because there is always another opportunity for us 
to carry more Torah, to learn more Torah, to be able to grow in our Torah learning. And so, while we may not be able to change from whom we were born, what we can do is look at how we can grow and continue to push ourselves forward in that way. So as Aaron and his sons are inaugurated into being Kohanim, it seems to be that the day is set to be quite festive. There is great food prepared. They are given new sets of wonderful clothing to wear. There is oil poured over their heads to celebrate this uh, momentous event. Talk to us, Akiva, about why it's important to celebrate and and really make it, it recognize beginnings of certain events. Right? Oftentimes, we celebrate ends of events. We celebrate uh, when somebody retires after many years, or we celebrate you know the end of things. But how and why is it important to celebrate the beginnings of things? Well, I guess I'll begin with. The the question supposes that a retirement is a celebration of the end of work and not the beginning of retirement. Similarly, graduation, is it a celebration of the finishing of that level of education? Or is it also a celebration of the beginning of the next stage? Suffice it to say, I understand the question, and I think we can look at it as... Bar Mitzvah, right? Bar Mitzvah, the clock strikes, and that's it. You're a Bar Mitzvah. All of a sudden now, the responsibility falls on you. No longer your father who has to take the, take the brunt of, of your behaviors, so to speak. But we make a celebration about it. We make a big deal. We have all of these different events that remind this young man that they're a bar mitzvah now, that they have the responsibility, that they get to do these things. And I would encourage the use of that term get to as opposed to have to because that's a great way to encourage people to want to do. I'll throw that in there. But we make a big deal And in this case, the inauguration is a big deal because not only is it a message to the community that these are your, these are your Kohanim. This is, this is the group that's going to have the responsibility and the opportunity to represent you in a very holy way, in a very spiritual way, but it's also a reminder for the Kohanim. This is a new thing for them. They haven't been, I mean, I suppose they were born Kohanim, but they didn't know what that meant. And as we turn Bar Mitzvah, we're taught, oh, this means now I I get up to do all these other things and I count for this and I have this responsibility now. But we don't necessarily understand what that means. But if we follow it with a celebration, a an invitation 
to the excitement, then it helps us understand the value and importance of this. So I think it's so important, this inauguration, that it is a big deal and made a big deal because, again, it tells the kahila what's going on, but it serves as a reminder to that person of the responsibility and the gravity of the role that they hold. And, you know, I, I work with people often who are going through retirement, and they too think that retirement is a celebration of the end of their working days. And then they realize, I have an extra third of my life now that I was spending working, spending at least a third of my life at the job, or traveling, or, and many of us, more than a third. What am I supposed to do now? And so, again, that celebration, whereas on the one hand, it can be the celebration of ending that working piece of their life, it can be an inauguration into the next stage. And perhaps if we looked at the gravity of what that meant, maybe people would learn to prepare for it a little bit more because it is a big deal. And for many, it's very difficult. So again, while I'm sharing opportunities to prepare and to encourage, I would offer that one as well, that we probably want to be looking at what things are an end versus how can we use these as an inauguration into the next stage of life to understand the importance and the gravity of that new role. Avi, we've now gotten to the point where we've been given the bulk of the instructions on how to build the Mishkan and the different components within the Mishkan, including the vestments of the Kohanim. So, this is a pretty big operation. It doesn't... There's not really a clear indication in the Torah of how long this is supposed to take. And yet... In the very next Parsha, we're supposed to have a place to put the Luchot. So give us a, give us a little bit of insight into what kind of time frame this, this took. So it's going to be really important to understand that these components of Shemot, parts of Vayikra, all the way until about halfway through Bamidbar, is going to take place in about one year. And certain components and certain parshiot really take place in one day or at most over a seven or eight day period. So let's break down what that looks like, right? On Shavuot is the first time that B'nai Yisrael hear from Hashem, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, they get the Ten Commandments, and Moshe goes up for the first time to receive the Luchot. The people miscount. They are going to create the golden calf. Moshe comes back down on the 17th of Tammuz and breaks the first set of Luchot. Forty days later, I'm sorry, right after that, the next day he goes up, 
and he starts davening to Hashem on behalf of the people to help save them. And that also lasts for 40 days. So that's going to take us until Rosh Chodesh Elul. Then, from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur, Moshe goes up and gets the second set of Luchot. So at this point, we're talking about approximately 120 days. So we're talking approximately four months, give or take. Then we look at what happens next. Between Yom Kippur and Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Moshe and the artisans who are instructed to build the Mishkan are in the process of doing so. And what we see over time is that each of these pieces is built, each of these pieces is fitted. Uh, Aaron then on Rosh Chodesh Nisan begins his training with a completed Mishkan and with all of his garb. And he begins to practice, right, and be trained by Moshe in how to bring the karbanot that will need to be brought. And he practices each day for seven days. And then they have the uh, celebration of the Mishkan. Which brings us really close to the second year, Pesach. So this is the time frame that we're looking at. All of this happens in one year, but again, we're going to see that so much can happen in just a few days because we have a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, conversation that happens between Moshe and Hashem that Moshe then shares with the rest of B'nai Israel, And we see that this is all an important part of understanding what's happening over this time period. So, Akiva, you asked a question last week, and I want to clarify one of the answers, because I think that there was a component I forgot. It's a very traditional component, but it was an important piece. You asked... What is the purpose of all of these instructions connected to the Mishkan? And the, while the answer I gave, I think, is, is worthwhile and relevant, there's a piece that I neglected to add, which is that it is from these activities that are necessary for making the Mishkan that we eventually learn what is Melacha, what is considered work, and therefore, what work we cannot do on Shabbat. It is these specific behaviors, these specific actions that are required for building the Mishkan that we then learn we cannot do those things on Shabbat. And so we then put them into 39 categories, the 39 melachot, the 39 actions or, or types of work, categories of work. Uh, and so it's important to recognize that that is an another important 
piece of understanding why all of these instructions are given to us about how the Mishkan is made. The rabbis tell us that the Urim Vetumim and the Choshen, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, was used to answer questions that B'nai Israel had. If you had access to the Urim Vetumim and the opportunity to ask it anything, what important question would you ask the Urim Vetumim? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.